Welcome to StoreBrand Spotlight. I'm Greg Sleater, Executive Editor of StoreBrands. Our guest is Elizabeth LaFontaine, Chief Retail Analyst at Retail Leader Pro, an Ensemble IQ brand. With nearly a decade of retail experience, Elizabeth uncovers emerging trends in consumer behavior to help retailers and brands tap into new insights and create winning strategies in the ever-evolving world of commerce. Her analysis and commentary help businesses deepen their industry knowledge while also identifying ways to win with an ever-evolving consumer. Elizabeth, welcome to Storebrand Spotlight. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's it's my pleasure. Um, the the last three words in that intro, ever evolving consumer, seem to be, uh, you know, as poignant almost as it's as it's ever been over the past couple of years. So it, it's definitely been an interesting time. And 2022 was another year where we saw a lot of changes and a lot of challenges. So uh, that's where I I would like to start. Um, and as we kind of finish up 2022, um, can you just, I guess, overall describe in some way that, and it's been a challenging year, uh, the past 12 months and some of the bigger challenges that retailers faced? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that 2022 has really been, I almost like to say a year of recalibration for the retail industry. I think that we headed into this year with so much uncertainty and the name of the game kind of in January 2022 is this idea that we were up against really tough comps from 2021 and 2020. We saw an incredibly resilient retail consumer during that time. Retail was really the beneficiary of a lot of the changes in pandemic behavior with consumers and the industry was doing really well. And so we knew that 2022 was going to always be a tough year. But I think that it's been even more volatile than anyone expected. And I think part of that is due to obviously the price increases that consumers have seen across the board in retail. But it's also been just the consumer's focus is in so many different places. And they're just looking not necessarily at retail products all the time. They were competing with so many other kind of elements of the consumer behavior right now that it's sort of leaving retail in this very vulnerable position. And I think the other thing that we've seen is heading into 2022, one of the biggest questions I think across the board was what was going to happen with the supply chain? We've seen that this year, we've really ended up being back in stock in most types of products. I know that there's still shortages out there with things like infant formula and other consumables, but for the most part, we're back in stock as an industry. And that's actually kind of had the opposite effect of what we saw in 2021, where now retailers are over assorted and have too much inventory. And that's left them with really having to deploy new strategies to figure out how they're going to get rid of that inventory and how they're going to continue to bring in new goods to satisfy a different consumer. Interesting. And I, I want to uh, jump on the supply chain part of that real quick, because uh, that's been a, a fascinating watch all year. Um, you know, there were obviously hiccups. I think labor played a role in supply chain. But I also feel like it was the consumer appetite for products that also played a role and that didn't get talked enough about in the supply chain challenges. Um, and then lately, we just saw an NRF uh, monthly report that said, obviously, the amount of product coming into the country is starting to slow down. Um, is, is that the key to kind of easing some of the supply chain challenges? Or are there other things that you think will play into that as we get into 2023? That's a great question. And I think that it's kind of twofold. It really is 
looking at supply and demand. I think supply, certainly we've seen that a lot of the port issues that we saw, the labor issues that we saw, the manufacturing issues that we saw in 2021 have eased a lot. Um, things kind of seem to be moving through the pipeline a little bit faster. I live in Los Angeles, so obviously the port issues were in my backyard and seeing the pile up of ships in, out in the ocean when you were at the beach was something that was kind of ever present in your mind. But I think it's also, as you said, figuring out the supply element of, or figuring out the demand element of all of this, because we saw during the pandemic that there was demand for products and services that we never could have anticipated that demand. Things like bread makers and toilet paper and games and puzzles and all of these things that really skyrocketed during COVID that now have really fallen off. And how, as you're, if you're a merchant or a buyer in retail or a demand planner for a manufacturer, how do you even try to start to plan demand around all of this? And so I think it's about figuring out where does demand go from here? Because we clearly have enough supply at this point, And I think supply is kind of chugging along as it should, but it's really figuring out that demand piece that's so important right now. When you look at um, the performance of retailers and 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 some of the challenges that they face in this, you had mentioned 22 was a whole new set of challenges from the previous couple of years. Uh, would, how would you grade or rate um, the work that they did to adapt into those challenges over the past 12 months? That's definitely a hard question. And I don't want anyone in the retail industry to come after me for this. And I think that you know, it's kind of looking at two different factors. I think when you're grading retailers in 2022, part of it comes down to how did retailers proactively plan for the slowdown? So anticipating that we were up against tough comps against 2021, how did retailers kind of anticipate that change in demand and how did they plan for it? And kind of the same thing we could say about price increases. And then the other side of that is how did they react to the changes in consumer behavior? So I think that as we think about sort of that supply and demand issue that we saw with inventory challenges in 2022, I think some retailers did a really good job of planning for the slowdowns and kind of, you know, knowing that even though we saw some high flying sales in 2021, that that was never going to last. And then I think some other retailers have been really good about reacting to what's going on with the consumer and the changes in the consumer. A lot of retailers really focused, I think, early in 2022 with not letting those price increases that they were getting from manufacturers, they weren't letting those pass on to the consumer right away. They were kind of trying to do it in a controlled format. And I really commend so many retailers across sectors for kind of easing the consumer into inflationary price increases, because I think that that's challenging for everyone, whether you're a brand, a consumer, or a retailer. I would say that overall, my grade for 2022 would be somewhere in kind of like the C plus B minus range, because I think that we still have so much headroom to grow and so much headroom to evolve as an industry. But I don't think that it was a complete failure this year. I think that considering how many challenges retailers face, they did rise to the occasion. And I think that they continued to focus on making the experience for the consumer as pleasurable as possible, even with all of the challenges that the consumer was facing. The next question I want to go to, because obviously uh, we've seen some uh, probably, and, and maybe this is a little overused, but historic changes in how uh, consumers shop and how they've adapted to things like the pandemic, then inflation and, and, and all, all the other challenges out there. 
this year specifically, is there a couple of new consumer behaviors and how they shopped that you saw kind of rise to the surface and that may continue into next year? That's a great question. I think that part of what's so interesting about the consumer right now is not to bring it back to 2021 again, but we saw this really kind of prosperous and very confident consumer during the pandemic that people were feeling personally wealthier than ever. They had home values that were really high. They were able to sell their cars for more. The stock market was doing well. People were feeling really good. And 2022 has really kind of been almost like a wrecking ball to the consumer's confidence in terms of their personal financial situation and also how they want to consume going forward. We've seen, I think one of the biggest changes that we've seen once again, and this is sort of like a boomerang effect of the pandemic, is the return to the experiential economy. So consumers, once again, when they have the opportunity to spend discretionary income, they're not just focusing on retail products and services. They're focusing on going back to traveling or attending concerts or going and visiting theme parks and museums and all of these sort of out-of-home experiences that they for that they really for rent during the pandemic. I think the other thing is that we have a very conscious consumer right now and conscious in multiple ways, but I think first and foremost, conscious in what is going on around them in the retail experience. So they're starting to notice those price increases and it's making them not only do a double take, but really reevaluate how they're purchasing going forward. I even find myself doing it when I'm in the grocery store and notice something that used to be $2 cheaper last year you start to kind of rationalize those purchases and really need to figure out how you're going to make it all work. And I think that's one of the biggest consumer behavioral changes now is we have a very uncertain consumer and a consumer that is starting to be a little bit more conscious of how they're purchasing and how those purchases are affecting their personal financial situation going forward. I think one of the other things too is one of the things that radically changed with the pandemic was the rise of e-commerce and really e-commerce becoming a staple across all retail sectors, including grocery and CPG. And a lot of that behavior has been really sticky with the consumer. And that's also changed how they're making impulse type of purchases and how they're thinking about their checkout transactions. And we also saw the rise in TikTok and how that's influencing impulse purchasing. So I think across the board, we see a consumer that really has evolved over the past years. And so many of those trends really accelerated in terms of their changing behavior. One of those behavior changes, and I think it's an evolution more than a, a change, has been uh, the demand for private label products or the, the move to private label products as consumers, as you mentioned, they're noticing those price increases and they're looking for those opportunities where they can save a few bucks. Um, so I guess the question is, if economic conditions improve at some level, and I don't know if they're going to radically improve um, over the next, you know, in, in a short window. But if they do, what advice would you give retailers to keep shoppers engaged uh, with their assortments of private label products? One of the things that I find most interesting about private label products within retail is that they've so many retailers have done a lot of work over the past, I would say, five to 10 years to really build out these fully fledged private label brands that have their own brand identity and sort of unique personality that make them just as valuable to the consumer as a nationally branded product. If you think about retailers like Costco and Aldi and Trader Joe's, they have really created these private labels that stand on their own and that the consumer loves. Um, I just saw recently that Costco actually released a line of Kirkland branded sweatshirts that actually have the Kirkland logo on them. 
And people are going crazy for them because Kirkland is now a brand that people love and they don't even think about it as a private label product. So I think that, you know, private label is uniquely positioned to do very well in times of economic uncertainty. The consumer has no problem switching to generic when they feel like they're getting a better value out of it. But as we exit those times, whether that's in the next 6, 12, 18 months, or even two years from now, the retailers that have done the work to create these private labels that can stand on their own and really compete against the nationally branded products are going to be set up for success long after we exit this phase. And I think for retailers too, it's important to look at their ratio of private label to nationally branded products now and make sure that they're optimizing that assortment not only for where we stand today, but where we're going to stand in the future. You know, it's interesting because I think this year and having conversations with folks around the, the private label industry, uh, they've been somewhat amused at the uh, the coverage that they've gotten from the consumer media. Uh, Walmart, uh, not Walmart, excuse me, Washington Post did a, a taste test uh, of barbecue sauces and the winner was a Walmart product. Uh, and the article was written in a way that was that was I took it a little condescending as I can't believe a Walmart branded product won. Um, so for some, it opened some eyes and maybe it's folks that haven't really taken a deep dive into private label. Um, but I think there's a lot of consumers out there that would that would say, no, I've been buying private branded products for for many, many years. They're as good as the national brands and I'm saving some money. But I think a lot of that's been uh, on the, con- the consumables for food and things like that. Um, is there opportunity for retailers to take sort of private label products to the next level um, outside of the food aisles and into other categories? You just touched on Kirkland with the sweatshirts. Um, do you think we'll see more of that in 2023? I think we will. And I think that, yeah, consumables have been, consumables and CPG have really been sort of the catalyst of all of this. They've, you know, private label has been around for a very long time in those industries and it's tended to do very well. And there isn't a lot of consumer, I want to say like kind of mental gymnastics that they're doing when they're purchasing those types of products. But I do think that we've also seen a lot of growth in sort of the general merchandise area. Think about the work that Target has done with all of their private label products across the store. They have They've branched into categories that didn't really have a ton of private label penetration before, like technology. And they've really, they're one of the ones that I think in the soft line space have done great work at building these brands that can stand on their own in apparel and footwear and accessories and those types of categories. I think that a huge opportunity that we still see out there is actually in the beauty space, whether that's drug beauty or prestige beauty. Sephora has done a pretty good job at kind of creating those products and marketing and messaging them to the consumer and showing the value and the quality of private label beauty. But I do think that it's been so brand focused for a long time, but we have a consumer now that really is into mixing and matching. They're not wearing the same brand for all types of makeup and skincare products. And retailers who dabble in beauty might actually have an opportunity to really create quality skincare and makeup lines that could appeal to a consumer, even if they're not nationally branded. As, uh, as we look into the new year, uh, as the 2022 comes to a close, um, I asked you uh, ahead of time to provide me a list of some issues that retailers should be paying attention to. Um, I'm going to just highlight each one and then just ask you to give us a little bit of, I guess, definition and insight as to what uh, retailers should be watching with each. 
So the first one you wrote is uh, elasticity of high income households. Uh, explain what you mean by that and, and why that's important. I think one of the, and I, I was actually doing a presentation last week and we talked about this a little bit, that one of the really winning drivers of growth in retail during the pandemic were high income households because these were people that really, I think, felt personally wealthier than ever. And some of them were the recipients of stimulus, some of them weren't, but they felt like they had a very good personal financial situation. And they were also not spending on some of these other things like the experiential economy, and they were able to spend more at retail. And they've really been the ones driving the growth in the industry for the past three years. I think that as we think about inflationary price increases across the board in retail, this group might be the most elastic. They might not be that price sensitive, but at some point they will be. And I think it's kind of figuring out across the industry what that threshold is. How high can you raise prices before high income, high income consumers start to take notice of that? and start to change their shopping behavior and start to change their behavior across all of their discretionary purchases. There is some threshold. And I think that we as an industry need to be thinking about what level that threshold is for those consumers, because they will start to make changes to their behavior at that time. Second on the list uh, was the value equation of retail, uh, the intersection of price, product and experience. I think that as we head into 2023, one of the biggest questions I think most retailers have is how can I continue to bring people into my store, whether that's online or in a physical retail store, but how can I continue to get the consumer to come back even when, but even when consumers are focusing more on needs versus wants, how can I still get them into my retail environment? And I think that it's focusing on that value equation. So if you're raising one of the levers like price, for example, how can you still focus on creating value through the products and services that you're providing to consumers and also the experience that they're having with you as a retailer, whether that's in-store or online? How can you optimize those two parts of the retail value equation so that even if prices are going up, the consumer still feels like they're deriving value out of that retail experience that they're having? The next one, and I'm really curious to hear your, your thoughts on this, is making life easier for consumers, um, even as prices rise, and removing any barriers to the shopping process. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this one. So we started to see this, I think, as a trend even more accelerated during the pandemic because of the rise of e-commerce. But consumers, I would say that now, not only is money something that consumers feel strapped about, but it's also time. We've seen a lot of consumers go back to work in an office as opposed to working from home and sort of return to normalcy a little bit in the post-pandemic world. And so consumers are time-strapped. And anything that the retail industry can do to eliminate barriers in the shopping process to make their time in the store more efficient, more effective, have, or, you know, all of the different experiences and services that retailers can provide to consumers through either buy online pickup in store or curbside pickup or ship to store fulfillment, all of these different types of services are making life easier for the consumer and they're making the retail experience easier for the consumer. And I think as we're still facing inflationary price increases, creating that value out of the consumer shopping experience and making the consumer feel like they can get the product that they want at the price that they want 
wherever they want to get it from is going to go a long way to really create that value equation for the consumer, but also just have them feeling like retail is not creating more obstacles for them. It's actually helping them to eliminate challenges in their day. And the last one on your list was, and one that I think it's interesting, um, is is retailers expanding their brand presence, I guess, beyond just the buying and selling of goods. Um, How do they go about that? So this is another one that I think really has been driven pretty much by the big behemoth retailers. Think about Walmart and Amazon. But they have really become these multi-layer conglomerates. They're not just retailers. If you think about Amazon's core business model of buying and selling goods to consumers, they do so much more than that. They have so many different extensions and arms of their brand. And I think that a lot of other retailers over the past five years have started noticing that and saying, oh, you know, if Amazon's doing that, maybe I can't do all of those things, but maybe I can extend my brand in different ways. And this can be through a variety of different channels. We've seen the rise of retail media over the past few years and retailers being able to take authority in terms of their first party data assets and how do they optimize those and really work with their brand partners to optimize assortments and market directly to consumers. That's something that we hadn't really seen before. We've also seen um, retailers really focusing on creating their own fulfillment options or improving their logistical capabilities, creating their own distribution and fulfillment centers, all of these things where they're actually owning the end-to-end supply chain process for their consumers so that they're not just worrying about the buying and selling of goods to consumers, but also how do those goods get to the consumer. And then there's retailers that have also focused on sort of the service element of being a retailer, whether that's providing services that are in line with what they're currently selling to consumers or doing things that are completely different. I mean, Costco, for example, isn't just a membership club and a warehouse. They sell travel and they book travel and they're travel agents to their consumers, which is not necessarily in their core business model, but it's something that's bringing value to the consumer and also extending their brand in a way that is building loyalty. And I think as we think about brand extensions for retailers and retailers being all things to all people, it's really focused on building loyalty with a very unloyal consumer that we have right now and trying to bring them into that retail ecosystem and keep them there for longer. Elizabeth, you've provided a ton of great information and a ton of great insight. And uh, the last question I have for you uh, is when we look at 2023, do you think this is a year we may consider it somewhat normal or should we really just stop using the word normal? This is a great question. And in my almost 10 years of working in various parts of the retail industry, every year, even when I was a merchant, we would say, you know, what are the comp years that we can look against? What are the calendar years that would be most similar to this year? And I think we're kind of phasing out of the ability to being able to do that. We Every year, retail faces different shifts, whether it be the calendar, we have leap years that impact things, we have the extra week in January some years, we have the changing of the date of Christmas and how many weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas we have. Every year brings its own set of unique challenges and opportunities. And I almost feel like now in the post-pandemic period, we can't even comp against any year before. We're even looking back to what did 2019 look like? What did 2018 look like? But We've accelerated certain trends like e-commerce, for example, so far ahead of where we should be because of the pandemic period that we're really almost in a new frontier. And that makes it really challenging because we as an industry, I think, like to look backwards often to inform what's going to happen in the future. We 
like to look at data and what happened last week, last month, last year, the last two years to really inform how we're going to set those strategies up for the future. But I almost think that we need to start thinking ahead and looking at those types of prescriptive analytic capabilities that are out there and figuring out how can we take what we know today and project that into the future instead of having to look in the past. Elizabeth, one of the smarter things I've done in the last few months was ask you to do this. Um, <laughs> that information was was awesome. Love the insight. Um, and and I think uh, the retailers who who tap into this will will provide and find some good information because uh, I think as you just alluded to, it's it's a it's a wacky world out there. And mm-hmm. the, the history of this business, I think, has been blown up over the past couple of years to where it's very hard to look at what happened, you know, beyond I don't know, the last 20 minutes and figure out what's going to happen next. So I, I think those your insight across the board was great. So thank you for your time. I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. 